Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We have already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence, so you will never work for someone else again. Successfully Unemployed, your place for freedom. All right, everybody, welcome to the Successfully Unemployed show. I am super excited to have you here with us as we look at how other people have become successfully unemployed, quitting that J-O-B, you know, that just over broke job, that job that we have that just makes us grind away day after day. We got rid of that and we got past that. And now we're successfully unemployed. And so what we do is we bring on great investors, entrepreneurs, side hustle experts, and all that sort of stuff that's going to show us how to invest and how to do basically do what they do. And so today I'm super excited to have John Kassman on the show with me today. He has a fantastic business where he invests in real estate and multifamily as well. So John, thank you so much for being on the show. Dustin, thank you for having me on. I'm very excited to talk about how I got over that J-O-B and am now successfully unemployed. Awesome, man. I love that. So I want to jump right into it. How do you make money without having that J-O-B to provide for your family and take care of yourself and do that? How do you make money? Well, I'll tell you what, it took a while for me to figure it, figure it out myself. But I think the first thing is you have to start looking into passive income, right? You want to look at multiple streams of income as well. So for us, there are a couple of ways we make money. And I was very similar to, I think, some of your listeners who maybe are still employed, where I looked at my day job. And for us, the first thing you have to do is figure out how do you get some of the income that you're making currently and invest that in a way where you can start to get passive income or income that doesn't require you to exchange your hours for dollars. So that was really the first step is to start building up some passive income. And we did that through real estate. And I know we'll talk more about that. The other thing, though, and I think this was really the key for me, is I was waiting until I got to the point where my passive real estate income kind of either surpassed or at least met my salary. And the reality for me was that was just going to take a really long time. So instead, what I started to do is to look at other ways to build those other streams of income by saying, okay, what do I love to do, which is real estate? Well, within real estate, there are other components of it. There's different events. There is consulting. There is wholesaling. There is, you know, rentals. There's partnering with other people. So it just really started to open up my mindset to say, there are a lot of different ways we can replace the salary um, and continue to build for long-term wealth in the process without necessarily relying on that JLB. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the idea of having passive streams of income. That's how I make my money is passively. I love not working an hour and getting paid for that hour. Now, you're a normal person, just like me, just like everybody else listening to the show. Um, now, being a normal person, we have found a way to go from being ordinary working a job that J-O-B to be an extraordinary where we found ways to make money outside of that. Now, talk to us about when you were ordinary and you work in that J-O-B, working for a GM and, and realizing, hey, this is, I'm not really helping anything other than this company. Like I'm not being fulfilled, all that sort of stuff. Talk to us about working that J-O-B just like everybody else is. And then the transition, the process to get out of that. And then you, when you finally became successfully unemployed. Yeah. So I think anyone who's listening to the show right now, they're trying to figure out, you know, how do they get to that step where they're successfully unemployed? Right. So for me, I think the big moment where this started was 
relatively early in my career. You know, I was at General Motors and I was there from 2007 to around 2011. And for anyone who remembers that time frame, that was when we went into the economic downturn. And what I noticed at that time was I noticed people who had spent their entire careers working for this company, and they were not satisfied. They were scared. They had no options. And that was really the first concern was, oh, my goodness, you know, the immediacy of it was I could lose my job, right? Now, I was fortunate to to thrive actually in that time frame. But even coming out of bankruptcy and coming out of those hardships, I started to look around and say, well, who looks happy? And no one looked happy. I mean, my boss's boss's boss didn't look happy, right? There was always some, um, some, some, some chaotic thing happening. There was always, you know, the the sky was falling every day over a typo in a presentation or whatever. And it just became something that made me uh, uncomfortable. And what I realized is I did not like having my entire life and my livelihood in the hands of a corporation. No matter how good I was, I watched superstars rise up in that company and get shot down out of nowhere and get sent overseas to someplace they've never been and can't speak the language. And uh, I just, I was paranoid and scared that that would happen to me, you know? So for me, I made two decisions. One was to transition to a place where if I stayed in corporate America, I could at least control my options a little bit better. And then the second thing was to start investing in the one thing that I found to be relatively easy to get into, which is real estate. And the reason I say relatively easy is we know that more people have made millions investing in real estate than anything else, right? Um, I'm not really a super tech guy, so I'm not going to come up with some some great app. Uh, I'm not that artistic. I'm not going to, you know, come up with some sort of art that's going to sell for millions of dollars. Um, but real estate was something that a lot of people. I mean, if you can do fourth grade math, you can probably invest in real estate. So that was something that really intrigued me, and that was where I really started. So I began with my wife. We just started with a two-unit building. We lived in one unit. We rented out the other unit. We call it a house hack. And for me, that was really the way to get going where I wasn't as concerned about all the numbers matching up right. I got a chance to cut my teeth on managing property a little bit and ease my way into real estate. And what ended up happening there was we created a lot of equity, six figures worth of equity in that first deal. And that's where the light bulb went off to say, okay, this theory, this idea that you have, you should really hone in and invest more of your time, yourself and your money into this. And that's what we started to do. We just started investing more and more in real estate until we got to the point where we had a one and a half million dollar portfolio and we were ready to continue to grow, but we felt that it was time to kind of expand and start to partner with others. So I love the idea that you didn't wait now, I didn't, I, I didn't do it this way. I waited until I had enough money to quit my job, ex, you know, get rid of all my- You're smart. You didn't. <laughs> you were smart. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about the nervousness and like the, the fears of like, I'm going to give this up. I don't know if I don't have everything figured out. Talk to us a little bit about that process of getting over those fears, getting, getting over the, because you're successful now, which is great because you're diligent, you're, you persevere and all that sort of stuff. Talk to us about getting over that fear. Yeah, the fear is real, you know, and, and I think it comes down to really understanding who you are as an individual. And for anyone listening to this, one of the biggest things you're going to have to do is you're going to have to come to grips with yourself. You're going to have to have some honest conversations. I have been working since I was 13 years old. There was one year that I didn't have a job when I was 15 and literally 13, 14 and then 16 up to now. 
I've worked. So when you have a W-2 check, I've never been fired from a job, even through all the economic downturn, every issue, I've never been fired from a job. So I'm not like one of the guys who comes on and says I'm unemployable. So I'm employable. I have great skills. I'm actually very savvy in navigating political waters and all that kind of stuff. The reality for me was it was a comforting thing. And I realized being in a comfort zone, I would never achieve the goals that I really set for myself. Um, The biggest moment for me was to really, you know, you lay out your goals and your priorities. And a lot of people say their kids are their priority, their family. And I said the same thing. And the moment I realized I had to go from, you know, trying to do multiple things to really dedicating to transitioning out of corporate America, what happened was my my son, he turned uh, three years old, you know, and uh, it's great age, turned three years old. But I wasn't there when he turned three. I was in Atlanta filming a commercial and uh, I couldn't make them change the date of the commercial or anything like that. I tried to push them to do a different date, but that was the date that worked. And I was apparently the only person in the firm who could go down and do the shoot. So I FaceTime my son and they're all at dinner and I'm, you know, on set in the corner somewhere looking into this camera. And uh, it just really hit me kind of hard to say, you know, you say these things are important. At the time, I was busting my tail, building up, you know, the real estate portfolio and a side hustle. So I was already putting in 12, 14 hour days. And here I am on set. Really sad that I'm missing my son's birthday. The reason I say I do all this, the reason I work this hard, I'm not even there. And at that moment, I realized that I had to do two things. One, I needed to take full control of my entire schedule, where if there was something I wanted to do, I just tell everyone, we're not doing it or we're going to do this. And I didn't have that capability. So that was really the moment I made the, the decision internally. And I think you have to go through those hardships. You have to go through those pain points. You have to really understand your why. And you have to have a strong enough why that makes it worthwhile for you to move forward, whether that is for health reasons. You know, I have a, I have a client of mine who, you know, for him, it was a family situation. You know, he had a family situation where he, he couldn't be close to his family, a young one at that. Um, and he couldn't be close to his young one as they went in the hospital and went through different treatments. They had to leave and go to work. And I couldn't imagine if my son was sitting in a hospital and I had to go work an eight, 10 hour day and then come back and hope that nothing too bad happened while I was gone. Right. So I think for, for you, for your listeners, you know, if having a strong why is definitely a great way to, to make, get over that fear that you have, but then also having a strong plan, you know, taking the time to actually back in a plan. Let's go through those fears. Okay. What if your business fails? What if you lose your money? What if you don't have the money? You need to go through it one by one. What will you do? And come up with a game plan. And I think once you have a counterattack for any of those obstacles that you may or may not be presented with, then you're going to feel more empowered and you're going to feel way more comfortable moving forward and trying to pursue the life of your dreams versus just living in the moment that you have in front of you. Those are, I mean, if anybody listening to this, hopefully you got a lot of that because I did. I've already gone through it. and I'm like, man, I'm learning a ton now. So absolutely right, John. Just such great, great insights. Now, if we were to say, I want to start investing in real estate. Now, not specifically just real estate in general, flipping or wholesale, like, like let's be broad. Let's say I want to start investing in multifamily. You know, that's that's a big leap. So I personally teach how to invest in rental properties, like single family homes to fourplex. And I love your idea and that which, which you actually did, which was house hacking. Not a lot of people know that you can buy a duplex, 
just like you would a regular house, live in one end or one part and have somebody else live in the other. And they are paying, number one, your mortgage. And hopefully you're going to actually be pocketing a little bit of money too, which would be fantastic. So I love single family homes, but at the same time, it's like monopoly. We want to eventually get to where we have the big properties, the hotels and the apartment complexes. So let's start there. Let's assume we we know we want to go with multifamily. Either we have single families or not, but we know we want to go with, uh, with multifamily. What should we do? How should we prepare? What What's the first step that we should take? Well, I think there are three strategies, three easy strategies to get into multifamily. One is what we talked about, right? House hacking. And that's a little smaller, two to four units, but living in a unit, renting out the other unit. I think that is the easiest way for someone to to start building multifamily. And from there, you can lean on your experience and the confidence and scale into larger properties. But that's the first way is looking into a house hack situation. The second way is looking into a JV. You know, if you don't have the skills right now, and if you don't have the time, especially if you're still employed, a great alternative is to partner with someone who does have the skills and the time. That way you can learn while you still make money, learn while you earn, right? So if you can partner with someone that, you know, has that ability, build from there, gain the trust, gain the experience, that's another great way to get into it. The third way and kind of what we focus on right now is through syndication, where we take that same kind of JV approach, thinking about partnering together. But instead of you just finding one person who can do it, we buy large scale apartment complexes where you can come in passively, earn passive income, but because you are a part owner, you get all the tax benefits that come with being an owner as well. So those are three easy strategies to get in to multifamily. And what I would say is for most people, it's like, okay, great. Once you pick a strategy, you still need to learn about multifamily, right? So to educate a little bit about what you're looking for in multifamily and how it differs from rentals, I'll give you a couple of things. First and foremost, when you're looking at multifamily, you have multiple doors, right? So it's not just one family you're renting to. You have multiple doors, multiple units. The good thing of that is when you have one person move out, you may still have a bunch of other people there to pay the mortgage, right? So you have that economies of scale. The downside is you have a little bit more logistics involved because you have more units, you have more things that can go wrong. You have, you know, more leases to keep track of and tenants to lease to and all of that, right? But it's scaled just like anything else. And I would go back to whatever your day job is. If you have a day job, there's scale somewhere in there. You mentioned my time at General Motors. Well, we built millions of vehicles, right? I had a small role in building that. I oversaw a seven, or I'm sorry, a $100 million advertising budget at one point, you know, and and it sounds huge, which it is huge. But the reality is I had a role that I played. There were other people who did their roles and you have to think about it the same way. It doesn't have to be a massive undertaking. You just need to understand your role and then what other roles are available and hire or plan or partner with people to fulfill those other roles. So you gave us those three great, great tips. And I want to dive deeper into the house hacking because not a lot of people understand that or even can even know that that's a possibility. And the other ones would be like the joint venture and also syndication. I love all those ideas. Those are fantastic. Let's dive into how you got your first multifamily, that that duplex, or you can get, because with, for everybody listening, if you don't know much about the, the loan process with a real estate and um, either com- conventional 
or a commercial loan, if you get four units or below, four, three, two, or one units, it's still a conventional loan, just like if you're getting a regular house. The great thing is you'll have one, two, or three extra units that you could actually make money on. So, John, talk to us about buying that first property, because another thing I'll quickly say is if you're going to buy a duplex, you can use an FHA loan, which is 3.5% down, which is fantastic. Let's just say you're going to buy a $200,000 duplex. Well, $200,000 is only $7,000 down for that property. That's $7,000 we can scrimp and save for that, but then we get other, another person to rent out. So, John, talk to us. I might have taken away a couple of your key points, but how do we get started in finding the duplex and moving into it? Like, how do we get started doing that? I think you're spot on, Dustin, right? So um, the way we got started and the way I would recommend for anyone else is to first and foremost, you have to understand location, right? So when we talk about real estate investing, that number one rule of real estate still applies, location, location, location. And in this case, I would say focus on where you would want to live. It sounds simple and straightforward and probably very obvious, but I find a lot of people who want to house hack and get this first investment property, they're looking in neighborhoods that they otherwise would not want to be in. And I think that's a mistake because then you, you're really sacrificing a lot. You're going to fill it. You can't wait to move and you're just doing it for the numbers and you may be putting yourselves in an environment that is not going to be comfortable for you. And I think that your personal health and well-being and, and mindset is so key that you'd want that first investment to be something that makes you feel good. So I would start by looking at the neighborhoods you would want to live. What characteristics do you want? And that, that's going to come down to you, your life stage. Do you want nightlife? Do you want to be close to restaurants and parks? Do you have children or not? You know, so you might want to look at schools, but figure out where you would want to live anyway, and then start making a list of places where you could find two to four units in those communities. Um, from there, you want to sit down with a real estate agent. I prefer a real estate agent that has experience dealing with investors and can help you run the numbers and understand the investment side of it, how to rent a unit. Um, you know, how to get them leased, all the contracts, things like that. So I would definitely make sure that you have someone with that experience. If not, and in some markets, that's just not the case, um, then yes, you can go with a regular real estate agent, but you need to at least find other resources to help you navigate that process. Bigger Pockets is a great resource. If you have questions about house hacking, they have tons of articles on it, numerous podcast episodes on it. So you can learn a lot about house hacking by researching on that website and even just Googling the term. You can see different rules and kind of a process of how to house hack. But I think that from there, once you get an agent, once you find properties, you want to run the numbers, okay? What you're looking for typically is you want to run numbers as if you did not live at the property. So if you are not going to live in a property, does it still cash flow? Is this still a good investment? Is it in an area where you could expect to see some appreciation? At a minimum, is it desirable? Which again, if you go back to the first thing, then it should be a desirable location because if you desire to live there, you can, you know, pretty much assume that other people would desire to be there, right? So those are kind of the, the key steps. Once you actually get into it, the management's a whole different you know, set of circumstances. But once you have that agent, once you can run the numbers and feel confident that the place would cash flow if you weren't living in there, that's when I think you can find a property that makes sense for you, your personal situation, and the lifestyle that you want to live. I love that idea. So those are some great, great points. Um, so I'll touch on the last one that I want to ask you a question about the first one or a first couple. So the last point 
of being able to make sure you run the numbers as if you were not living there. That's a great, great idea. Because when I get a lot of people that are investing in real estate, they come to me for coaching and they say, hey, I have this house that I lived in. I moved out and I'm renting it out, but I'm making $20 a month on it or I'm losing $20 a month. Should I sell it or should I keep it? My first question for them is, now that you're learning about real estate, now you're learning how to make money, where you're hopefully making $250 or more per door on every property that you buy. Now that you know what to do, would you buy this property as, as an investment at that price that you have it at now? And more often than not, they're like, no, I would absolutely not buy that because I'd be losing money. I'm like, well, that helps you lean in a direction that you uh, what, uh, where you would want to go. So that's a great question. Now, when you're talking about um, finding a realtor that knows what they're talking about. Usually realtors are going to say, these drapes are really pretty. Oh, look at the landscaping. It's really, really nice. Like, how do we find an investor type realtor that knows what investing is like and how to help you run the numbers? That's a great question. And I've, you know, I was fortunate enough to do most of my investing while living in Chicago, where there was a ton of two to four units. So for me, finding an investor friendly agent wasn't that difficult. But I know for other folks, it may be more challenging. My sister in law is one of the top real estate agents in the city of Cincinnati. And um, I would not hire her to find me a two to four unit, right? And she's amazing. She could tell you everything you want about neighborhoods and schools and this is on the ballot for elections but uh when it comes to two to four units around the numbers no that's not really what she does so what you want to do first and foremost the easiest thing you can do is look for recommendations right if you can attend meetups if you can go to different events in your city um i'll, I'll go back to bigger pockets if you can go there and try to connect with other people who are investing in two to four units simply ask them hey who did you use what was the process like? Go from there. Um, the other thing you can do, which this is kind of a reverse engineering approach, look up two to four units remotely in the area that you want. OK, go to Zillow or wherever you can see properties and look for two to four units and see who the listing agent is. You know, and I would go through and I would make a list. And if you see a name popping up multiple times, it's probably a good chance that that person knows a thing or two about selling two to four units. Now, again, this is not pulling sales information. This is not even before you have a conversation with them. But the mere fact that they're selling and listing multiple two to four units would imply that they know a thing about two to four units. So ideally, you start with a referral or recommendation. But if you can't find that, then I would just go to Zillow, see, you know, put your search uh, criteria on for two to four units, see which names pop up and then go from there to have a conversation. So you can tell that John is a professional at doing this because that last tip he just gave you, that's a pro tip. Most people would not think to do something like that. I've even encouraged people, like they say, how do I find a property manager in a certain area? I say, there's many different ways, but here's a pro tip. If you go to Craigslist and you look up places that are for rent or you know houses or whatever that are for rent, and if you find a number, a phone number that's consistent throughout like a bunch of them, that could be a property manager, call them up. So great, great pro tip. So from there, the thought comes into my mind that, oh my goodness, what happens if the toilet leaks at two in the morning? I don't want to deal with that. Or do I want to? Like, what's your thought about managing the property considering we live right next door? Should we tell them we're the owner? Should we not tell them? Tell us about that. Yeah, it's a great question. It comes up all the time when I talk to people about house hacking. Um, what we did, and I, I would recommend this for most people, is um, you want to kind of toe a line. You know, you don't want to misrepresent um, the facts, but I would try to avoid the ownership conversation. And what I would say is we're the managers, 
we manage the property. So when someone says, hey, do you guys, are you guys the owners? We say we manage the property. You don't necessarily have to say yes or no. Just say we manage the property. Okay. So that's what I would do. I've never had someone stop and say, but do you own it? You know, so I wouldn't expect them to drill you and, and pin you down. I think, you know, they just want to know like, okay, are you the, are you the person that makes decisions? Are you the person who would be their day-to-day contact? So that's what I would say. That's worked out really well for us. If someone moves in at some point, they'll probably figure out (laughs) that you own it. And I think it's okay for that. But initially when you're starting the screen, um, I think it's okay just to let people know you manage the property. Um, the other thing, and quite frankly, sometimes depending on how you, you structure it, you may technically not be the owner. You may be your LLC or it may be a trust or another entity. So, I mean, that's why you can just say we manage it. And honestly, that that is the factual way to approach it. Now, you said what happens if um, there's a toilet leak or something else happens. The very first thing you need to do is set clear ground rules for communication. Um we talk about how you want to communicate, what what's feasible, what's not. And I would just let it be known that, hey, we're your neighbors as well, right? So in the same way, just because I'm next door or upstairs doesn't mean come bang on my door at two in the morning um, that you wouldn't do that for a regular neighbor. I would expect that you not to do that for us, right? Um, so the times when it's okay to do that, if there's a fire, by all means, you can bang on the door or call or text me and get me up. Um, if you have a, a massive leak happening, so if there's a big water issue where, again, delaying the communication is going to cause more damage, yes, by all means, um, get me up. Any other emergency of that situation, right? If, if the alternatives start to be calling the police, the fire department, or someone else to come in, yes, call me at that moment. If it's not one of those type, one of those situations, they, it can be handled during normal business hours. So send an email, you can do text message if you're fine with text message, but send an email or a text and we'll let them know we'll respond during normal working hours. Now, if it's a text and I get it at eight o'clock, yes, I might respond back if it's a quick text. But otherwise, I try to really keep it tied to the hours that a normal business would operate. Because if it's about, hey, my, you said the curtains, right? Um, hey, the the drapes fell down. You know, can you can you pick them up? It's not an emergency, right? So we'll do that. We can do that tomorrow. We try to respond within 24 hours at all times, try to address any issue that comes to us as quickly as we can, typically within 48 to 72 hours. So we try to maintain those standards in the same way that if I hired a third-party management company, I would expect them to run it like that with my resident. But just because I'm next door or upstairs does not mean that, you know, your immediate discomfort becomes my crisis that I now have to drop everything to come handle. What it, those are great points. And I love the idea that you're like, Hey, I'm your neighbor too. Like you wouldn't do this unless it's a fire. Like, yeah, I completely agree with that. Now, what are your thoughts about just hiring a property manager to be the management? So you can be completely like, as I, I don't want them to know anything about me. I'm just a neighbor. What are you? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
You're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thoughts about doing that? Yeah, it depends on your goals. Um, I, I'm open to it, and I, I like it for someone who truly wants to be hands off. What I would say initially, for me at least, and again, I knew I wanted to do more real estate. So for me, being hands on was kind of a prerequisite. Like, how are you going to start working with other people if you've never managed your own? So I felt like it was a prerequisite. Now, I do talk to other people, and for those individuals, um, where it makes sense is if you know that you don't want to really go very deep into real estate or you just really want to be a passive investor. You want to put your money in. You want to get a return. You don't want phone calls about what's happening. You don't want to be screening tenants. You don't really want to be involved in the management side. Then I think that's fine completely. Uh, but what I'll say is that if you live right there, and you're paying someone else to come over and fix anything or show it, it just seems ridiculously inefficient, right? Um, and I get not wanting to be exposed or have to deal with tough conversations. And I think that's okay. If you're not someone who wants to explain to the tenant why you're raising rent 10%, um, I understand not wanting to be the person out of that conversation. But I would also say if that's the case, then you should also think about uh, long-term, what you, your expectations are. Are you house hacking for a very temporary period of time um, just to get some passive income or something like that? Um, or do you really want to build a portfolio? And I would say if you're trying to build a portfolio, house hacking is, you know, it's, it's a great way to start, but there might be other alternatives to you if you really don't want to be hands-on. So great points. Now, let's say we want to continue investing. We, we bought, we house hacked, we got one property and it's going well. What is this step to then start growing and getting the next property? Should we do it again or should we just buy an, an investment property? Should we move out of this one, get another one? How do we continue to, or like get the next property and then start growing after that? Numbers wise, the best thing you can do is, um, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. So with an FHA loan, um, you get three and a half percent down as you talked about before. So you can buy a $200,000 house for $7,000 down. Now, the one thing that's necessary to, um, if you want to try to use that strategy again, is you have to live in that property for at least one year. And then you have to be able to refinance out of that FHA loan because you can only have one FHA loan at a time. So in theory, what you could do is you get that $200,000 house with $7,000 down. Let's say you invest in a hot neighborhood that is seeing great appreciation. And maybe you did a little bit of work to, to boost the, the value. So now you can refinance, you're at 20%. Um, equity to value of that property. So you can go and get a new FHA loan. So the best thing financially is to do that again. Just take another $7,000, get a new FHA loan on a new two to four unit property and rinse and repeat. And you can honestly do that every you know 366 days if you really wanted to. You could continue to repeat that process. 
Now, for most people, that's way too much. Most people are not going to move that frequently. And it's pretty hard to create that kind of equity within one year on, on most properties. So from there, I think the the next question is, if you get an investment property, um, that's usually 20 to 25% down. So, you know, if you have that capital, yes, I think that is the best next thing to do. You have more equity in the deal and uh, it's a great way to grow and scale. Um, but again, if you don't have that capital, that may be now a great opportunity for you to go into a JV where you partner with someone else and you can say, Hey, I live in this property. I live in, let's call it a three unit. I live in this property. I self-manage it. It's working really well. I want to go and buy another three unit. And I will manage it. I will oversee everything. Um, and I'm looking for capital or a capital partner to help me with the down payment. And as a pure investment property, it's much easier to do that. You can create an LLC, go in together and buy this new property. So I would say, you know, you kind of have to look at what the obstacles are and overcome them. Um, but if you if you really want to do it for as cheap as possible, the FHA program and just keep using that. And I know people who do that. That's the best way to do it. But if not, and you don't have the capital to put down that 25% on the next property, then that's where you may want to open yourself up to a partnership or some sort of financial uh, situation that allows you to get tap into other people. I want to touch on something. I want to actually emphasize what you said. There was one thing you said in there, and it was really quick. It was, you see what the obstacle is, and then you overcome it. And that's something as entrepreneurs, as people who are trying to be successfully unemployed, we are going to have obstacles coming in all over everywhere, like literally everywhere. You're going to have an obstacle for those of us that are entrepreneurs need to be problem solvers. We need to figure out what the problem is. It could be how to get financing, which I want to talk to you uh, briefly on financing, uh, but it could be financing. How do I solve that problem? It could I I borrowed money from my dad. I've read, I've, I've taken out bundled loans from properties. Um, I've even used a credit card. So I, I, I literally used a credit card to buy a house. And so I've done all these sort of things. Now, those are advanced strategies, but I found that there was an obstacle or a problem and I figured out how to solve that problem. So everybody listening to this, you absolutely need to take note of that. You need to be able a problem solver to figure out like if everybody just, if John and I just gave up at the first obstacle or the hundredth obstacle, we would not be where we are now. There's gonna be obstacles all over the place. We need to figure out how to get over those. So John, from there, the biggest question outside of like the the kind of like hows and what if this, the, the biggest question I always get is, where do I get the money? Like, where do I, how do I pay for this? I know, okay, $7,000, I can probably, you know, grab that, but I get that one. How do I get the next cent? Like, talk to us about financing. I love the idea of joint ventures and also doing LLCs, all that sort of stuff. Talk to us a little bit more about financing properties. Yeah, listen, and, and to your point, I mean, now picture me talking to someone who is trying to figure out how to finance a three unit, right? Where maybe they've got to come up with $20,000, um, $25,000, or in that case, maybe $50,000 for that $200,000 house, right? So I got to come up with you know $50,000 down. And then I'm trying to talk to them about buying 200 unit complexes. And they're like, dude, what? Get, what? Get out of here, right? So the money always becomes an issue. But I think that when you really start to peel back the onion a little bit, you realize that there's a lot of capital available. So first and foremost, you know, we're, we're just talking about the the investor or the the investor side of the the capital. The bulk of the money is coming from a bank, which I think gives real estate such a huge leverage and such a huge advantage. I mean, picture going into the stock market and saying, hey, I want to buy $100,000 worth of stocks for only $25,000, you know, and if it goes up, I'll give you, you, you keep your $75,000, I'll pay you a little bit of, on that. 
um, and then I'll keep the rest. I mean, you, you just can't get that kind of leverage in uh, other asset classes, right? So the first thing is you've got the bank that's coming with the bulk of the down payment. So then you have to look at it and say, okay, how else kind of come into it? There are a few different ways. Obviously, you can save money, which is what we did. You know, we saved a portion of our paycheck, and that's why it took us a little bit of a time, a little bit of time, because I was saving, you know, thousands of dollars a month until we reached a number where we had enough for a down payment. So, and I think we bought um, a three-unit building. We bought an eight-unit building. And with that eight-unit building, I mean, we put down one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, right? So you think about. You know, it took us a year to save that and invest it. And that's when I said, geez, there's got to be a better way than me taking a year to save this kind of money to go buy a property just to save this kind of money to go buy a property and never actually get the benefits of owning it because you're not getting enough cash flow where I could just quit. Right. Um, so that's really where I started opening up myself to say, well, how can we buy more property without taking a year to save money? And I would say, even if you're starting out, this may be something to think about. And it's how do you start partnering with other people? There's creative financing out there. There's things called hard money lenders. There's private money lenders. Um, there's a big difference between the two, by the way. A hard money lender is someone who uh, is going to charge you a lot of money to borrow their money. And they're probably going to foreclose on you if you don't execute. Um, and they make all their money off of the insurance or the uh, the interest. A private money lender, though, is someone that you may know personally or someone who strictly invests in real estate. And they're usually going to be more flexible with the terms. Maybe they have an old IRA account, a self-direct IRA, um, or some other account where they don't need the money right away. And they're willing to investing in a vehicle that's going to give them better returns than maybe a bond or stocks. Um, so they might be interested and open to that. So if you don't have the money right now, I would say one of the things you should do is make a list of people that you think may have the money and you think believe in you and may have an interest in partnering with you. Because there are a lot of people who are interested in real estate. They may not own real estate right now, but a lot of people are interested in real estate and they may just need an opportunity to react and maybe they'll ask questions and you can help them learn more about what it is you're doing. Um, now, what I'll say is, if you're going to approach people, make sure you've done your homework. You know, Make sure you are clear on what you're looking for. If you're looking for a two to four unit, in a certain neighborhood, say that. Make sure you're clear on your criteria because the clearer you are, the more credible you're going to be. If you reach out and say, hey, man, I'm looking at some real estate. Well, what kind of real estate? Oh, well, I don't know, you know, but something that makes us some money. Would you be interested in investing? What? Get out of here. But if you say, hey, I'm looking at two to four units and, you know, these three zip codes where we can deliver a $250 unit cash flow after taxes and after our debt service, um, is this something that you think you'd have interest in? Okay, that's a little more specific where I could see it. And you may even have a couple of examples. Hey, here's a property that I've looked at. This is the type of property that I would be looking to buy. Is this something that you might want to learn more about? So I think the more specific you can be and the clearer you are with your vision, the clearer it's going to be to communicate and get somebody else on board with your plan. Those are fantastic. And I know as an investor myself where I would lend somebody money, and having borrowed money from people, there are two things that somebody who is letting their money out, there are two things they're really concerned about. Number one is not losing their money. That's the first and foremost. They don't want to lose their money. And by showing them that you know what you're talking about, 
that is one huge step forward as opposed to, like you said, hey, I just, can I borrow some money? I want to buy a house and hopefully make some money. Like, I don't feel comfortable that you know what you're doing that I'm actually getting my money back. So that's number one. Number two is what kind of return would I get on my money? Would I actually make money? So protecting that my money and making more money from my money are two things that I'm going to be as an investor be concerned about. And so if you can alleviate those fears or those concerns or ask or sorry, answer those questions, if you're able to do that, then they're so much more willing to lend you money because they feel comfortable that and they and you're trustworthy to be able to borrow that money. Okay, so John, the last thing, how do we scale the business so that we have enough money? Now you quit before you had enough money to you know for your expenses. I didn't, I waited, but how do we continue to scale that business? Is it continue to get more people to lend us money? Like what do we do to scale? Is it buy more properties, find more money? What do we do? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's both, right? I mean, if you want to scale a business, you're gonna need, or if it's real estate specifically, right? Then you're going to need more properties and you're gonna need more money. It doesn't have to be your money, but you're going to need more money. So you'll have to get comfortable with that. And that was the realization that I came across was, you know, for us to scale, and I had to stop after we bought that eight unit building, you know, we had acquired, we had built up this portfolio. But when you start running the cash flow numbers, I'm like, man, this is gonna take me another like eight years before I'm making enough money where I would feel comfortable leaving my job. It's like, well, this was not the plan. You know, my my oldest son at that time was, I think it was around the same time, it was like two or three or whatever. And, um, you know, it was just like, I don't want to be doing this with all these 10, 11, 12. Um, so at that moment, I had to get over my fear and say, well, listen, there's an easy path if you can get other people to partner with you. And at that moment, I felt like I had built up enough credibility. I built up a track record. And, you know, I knew what I knew from even my business background of how to manage and how to grow. So getting more deals was step one. Step two is getting more capital and starting to have those conversations with people, you know, starting to be honest, starting to be a bit vulnerable, which is a hard thing to do is to start reaching out to people and letting them know what you do and that you're looking for investors. But if you really want to grow and move forward, that's what you have to do. I think the biggest thing for me, though, was I stopped looking at it as a, a side project or a hobby. And I really thought about it as a business. And that's when I created the business. And when you have a business, you are being neglectful if you don't go out and promote your products and services to prospective clients. Could you imagine having a business and you never told people about what you do? I mean, that's really what you're doing. If you're not out there telling people what you do, how you can benefit them, then you're not going to grow. And the reason people don't do that, by the way, is because they only see it for themselves. You know, and I was in, I was like this myself when I started out because I knew how I benefited in the business. You know, hey, come invest with me so I can grow my portfolio and I can quit my job and I can make the kind of money. Right. It was all about me. But when I stopped to say, well, what is what does this person get? You said the second thing that person wanted was what kind of returns do they get? Well, the money, what they get is returns, but there's other things they get, right? They get to diversify their portfolio outside of the stock market. They get a chance to learn more about real estate and whether or not they like it, or at least they can try to get involved with it. They can, um, you know, get a chance to get some crazy tax benefits that are amazing, especially in the commercial real estate space. So there's different benefits that they get as well. And when you start figuring out how you can help other people, then you won't want to keep it to yourself. You'll be happy to share what you're doing because you know you're providing a real value to other people. So I think that shift is critical. If you really want to scale, if you really want to grow, you have to take it out of what you get 
and you have to focus on your customers just like any other business you know you have to focus on what they get out of it how you can help them how you can benefit them and that's how you really open yourself up to scale and do other things that are necessary to scale that's great and i wholeheartedly agree in all of my businesses the more people that i can help the more people that I can serve, the more people I can solve their problem or whatever it might be, the more money I make and the better my business does. Because if you look to to serve, if you look to help people first, it's all going to come back to you. Not like in a karma way, but no, it will tangibly come back to you because you're doing things that are helping them. But in return, it's also helping you. So wholeheartedly agree. So John, you gave us so much great, great insights. I want to jump now into the rapid fire round. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, man. So these are questions, broad questions. You should be able to answer them off the top of your head. So the first one is, after we become successfully unemployed, hopefully we're not working that 40, 50, 60 hours a week anymore. We have a little bit of time to give back, either to make the world a better place or to help the people around us or the community or something. But how are you giving back to help people around you? Yeah, two things. And you talked about it being kind of serendipitous where, you know, we do the podcast. So we, um, Target Market Insights is our podcast. And we do that for other folks who are looking to get started. You know, that first thing that we talked about with uh, real estate is location, location, location. I launched that both for me to learn how other phenomenal investors are finding the best places to invest, but also to share that with other people along our journey. So I think that's one way. The other thing is, um, and I have a friend of mine who she left her W-2 job, so she was successfully unemployed. And she left to start a nonprofit where she was really helping to, um, you know, go into underserved communities across the globe and teaching them how to create sustainable um, water solutions in their communities. So I'm, a, I'm on the advisory board for that nonprofit. And that's something else that uh, I, I enjoy being a part of. So I think finding other causes that you're passionate about, volunteering your time, and then taking that knowledge, that expertise that you built in corporate America or whatever you were doing previously in transitioning and leveraging those skills in these new passions is a great way to kind of stay motivated and give back to others. Love it. That's fantastic. Very, very cool. And especially helping, I mean, water is this, it's really where life is is basically in. And so without water, you're, you're dead in three days. So awesome. I love that. Now, from there, the next question is, if somebody were to want to get started just like John did, what are the quick, succinct ways? How? What are you suggesting they should do to get started? I think the very first thing you have to do is surround yourself with the right people. Because if you don't know anybody investing in real estate and you want to invest in real estate, if you start talking to friends and family, they're going to, a lot of th times, they will persuade you because they don't understand it. And it just seems scary to them. So you have to surround yourself with people who are doing it. So you understand that it's not just this myth. It's not some stuff in a book. It's not some guru crap that, you know, people are, are, are pelting on TV. You know, it's real. And you have to surround yourself with people who are seeing real success. So that way, you can start to emulate them. You know, they talk about you are, you know, the five people you spend the most time with, right? And if you want to learn about real estate, you have to spend your time with real estate people. And by the way, it doesn't have to be all physical in person. If you're listening to podcasts like this, if you are, you know, watching YouTube videos, if you're reading books, then you're immersing yourself into it. So do that, but also make sure you do spend some time with real people so uh, it can just come to life. And I think that's the biggest thing um, house, we've talked a lot about the the actual steps for house hacking, but I think step one is you've got to surround yourself with people who can reinforce that vision and the possibilities from day one. 
that brilliant. Love it. I completely wholeheartedly agree. Um, so from there, the next question would be, if you're going to go back to give your 18 year old self any advice about life, business or whatever, what would it be? Dude, there's this thing called the internet. You only use it right now to play games. Like you really need to use it to find the solutions to your questions and your problems. So I was looking to get in real estate when I was like 19, 20 years old, but I had no idea how to get started. I actually bought a, a newspaper, a local newspaper, and uh, just started looking for houses for sale. I didn't know how to get the money. You know, I, I had no clue how to qualify for a loan, anything. Um, but I would have, I mean, it was a perfect time to use the internet. I'm sure there were answers out there. So I would have used the internet a bit more wisely and uh, figured out what the steps would be, who I needed to get on my team to partner with and uh, get started. That's great. Okay. So from there, the next question is what is one tip or tool or app on your phone? What is one one tool that we can actually, it could be a journal anything for that matter. What is one thing that we should start implementing into our lives to make our lives more efficient? Yeah. Um, you know, Day one is a journal that I use. So um, it's a it's a good journal that allows me to just document uh, my day so I can wake up. I can just write into it. You can talk into it as well. And uh, it's a good kind of daily journal. So that's an app that I use. Um, one of the other apps that I use a lot in my business is PipeDrive. Um, there are a couple different, it doesn't have to be pipe drive, but there's different serum systems and serum tools. So, uh, and I like to look into multiple ones, but pipe drive allows me to track my relationships and communications. You know, when you're out there talking to people, one of the important things is to kind of track and keep up on those relationships. And it's kind of hard. I mean, you can create a newsletter or something like that and blast everybody. But honestly, if you have hundreds of conversations a month, thousands and thousands of conversations a year, you know, you may forget that guy you met at that conference last year is interested in the thing that you're trying to do. So it's good to have some sort of database that you can go back to and say, hey, I met somebody who was interested in this. That's right. Look it up and see it. So some sort of system that allows you to keep track of relationships, especially if you're looking to raise capital, because you'll need to understand what folks are looking for and how to stay top of mind and reach out to them. That's great. I've never heard of that. I'm definitely gonna have to look into that because I meet lots and lots of people. It's fantastic. And it just kind of floats out of my brain. Eventually, I just kind of forget. And so that'd be great to have. So the last question is, what is one nonfiction book that you would suggest that we should read? All right. So um, I, have a, I have a couple, but I'm going to give you one. The one you should read is Atomic Habits by James Clear. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal book. Um, it really is about how tiny changes really can make massive impact. And to give you an example, let's say you want to, um, let's say you want to, to, to run a marathon. What, what it does is says the problem with trying to run a marathon or setting a goal of running a marathon is you don't really know when you've achieved it until it's too late, you know, when you've made it or you failed. Um, so you can set daily and weekly goals, but really what you have to do is create the habits. You know, the goal is not really the key part of it. It's really the habit. You know, you want to get into a point where this is just who you are, what you do in the same way you get up, drink coffee, eat your breakfast, whatever you want it to be a habit. So he talks about in that scenario, the habit you may create is really just putting on your shoes, your running shoes. So every morning, put on your running shoes. You don't even have to go run. You don't even have to leave the room. 
but just get in the habit of putting on your running shoes. And if you do that, you can work your way up to, all right, I put on my running shoes. Let me walk around the block. You know what I mean? But just start to slowly build the habits that trigger the next habit, right? Because if you really think about running a marathon, step one is wake up, you know, get changed into your workout clothes, your running shoes, go outside, maybe, you, but it's the ritual. And you have to create the ritual that's necessary. So the book breaks down that topic. And it's the stuff that we can do today. That's what I love about the book and why I recommend it so highly is, you know, you want to raise a million dollars for your next deal. and You don't think you know anybody with two nickels. The book will give you the first immediate thing you probably need to do right now to start on that way. In the same vein, The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan is another great book to look into. Um, and then the last one I'll give you is The Power of Focus, which is a, a really good book that I've had for about 12 or 13 years. And I've really enjoyed that book just to help get clarity and, and focus on the things that we want to make uh, come to fruition. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love all those books. Those are really, really great books. So, John, you've given us such great wisdom and great insights. If somebody were to say, you know what, I really like John, I want to reach out to him. How would they go about finding you and connecting with you? Yeah, so the easiest thing is to go to our website, chasmincapital.com. Um, from there, you can, you know, my email and all of my stuff is there. So you can email me. Uh, on the website. And then also, you know, we have our podcast, Target Market Insights. You can go check out that podcast, learn a little bit more about multifamily and marketing. And I'd be happy to connect and reach out to anyone who wants to talk more. Awesome. John, fantastic having you. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dustin. I appreciate it. Today's episode has been brought to you by the Real Estate Wealth Builders membership. That's the membership that I founded teaching people how to quit their J-O-B by investing in real estate rental properties. Now, Real Estate Wealth Builders is your place to learn how to invest in real estate with five different masterclass courses group coaching with me and a private student community where we all work together, all the tools and the discounts, all the resources and everything that you need to quit your J-O-B by investing in real estate. Now, I do want to show you how to do this completely for free. If you want to learn about investing in real estate for free, I want to get you my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. That's R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777 so you can see how you can quit your job, that J-O-B, by investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties, how to use other people's money to buy properties, and how to scale the business to be successfully unemployed just like I did. Now, did you also know that there are video versions of each and every single episode on the Successfully Unemployed show? Well, I did record every single one of these for you. I recorded them for you so you will be able to learn from the experts themselves, see what they're doing, see everything that they are talking about on this show visually and all their examples, all their slides, all their pictures that they even draw. Everything is on there. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. Or if you just go to YouTube and type in successful unemployed, more than likely you're going to find me. So successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. And I would truly appreciate it if you subscribe to Successfully Unemployed on YouTube and wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe to this show so that you can always get every bit of new information on how to quit your J-O-B. Also, if you got anything out of the show, Share it with just one person. Share it with just one person so that they can see the light that it is so much better to not work a job, be successful, unemployed, and be your own boss. All right, guys, this is it for today's show. I will see you next week. See ya. See ya.